If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, page 8. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Our New Testament reading is Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, page 941. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the, adhe it, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, how grateful we are to you for your word and the promises that it holds, Lord. Your promises that say to us, these are the things that you will do and you will not leave them undone. 
Help us now to hear them and what they mean to us. And that you, Lord Jesus, are glorified in providing by your grace. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace. It's good to see all of you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to give you a prize for that. <laughs> that was something our tour guide said all the time in, as we were going through Israel. <laughs> I'm going to give you a prize for that. <laughs> yeah. Today's message, the title is, The Promise Rests on Grace. Two brothers were getting ready to boil some eggs. I'll give you a dollar if you let me break three of these on your head, said the older one. Promise? asked the younger one. Promise? Gleefully, the older boy broke two eggs over his brother's head. Standing still for fear the gooey mess would get all over him, the little boy asked, when is the third egg coming? It's not, replied the brother. That would cost me a dollar. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Eggs are far too expensive for that. <laughs> but promises, promises raise expectations, don't they? When someone makes a promise to you, yeah, your expectations go up. But naivete can make you vulnerable to false promises. Because a false promise is rendered and you suffer, you suffer from it and your faith is diminished. It's replaced by cynicism as you become skeptical. I suppose that many feel that way about the promises of Scripture. Because the Scripture, what we read, it, it raises our, our expectations. And they seem too good to be true. Paul David Tripp, in his book, Awe, Why It Matters to Everything We Think, Say, and Do, he says, God's promises are meant to move and motivate us. They are meant to instill hope. They are meant to give us courage. They are meant to defeat feelings of loneliness, inability, and fear. They are meant to give us peace when things around us are chaotic and confusing. God's promises are meant to blow your mind and settle your heart. They are his gifts of grace to you. In your heart of hearts, you know you could never have earned the riches that he pours down on you. His promises are meant to leave you in awe of him and in wonder at the glory of his grace. His promises are designed to be the way that you interpret and make sense of your life. Isn't that good? Yeah, the promises, that these are the promises of God. And if there are promises that will help you make sense of your life, it is certainly the promises of God. And the promise to Abraham that we read in, our, in, in these two passages of Scripture are, they show us how we are to make sense of our lives, the world, and the future, and everything as we trust in the promise of God. Now, to do this, though, we must rest in the power of the promise and by faith participate in the purpose of the promise, then walk together as people of the promise. So let's think about this. Let's rest in the power of the promise. Look at verse 17 and 19. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So there it is. What is so this promise raised an expectation for Abraham. But what is the promise? Well, Paul outlines it there in chapter 4, but you have to look back at Genesis chapter 12, what we read, and, and Genesis chapter 15, and then again in chapter 17. But we're only going to look at 12 and 15. Genesis 12, 2, here's the promise. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in Genesis 15, verses 5 through 7, God tells him again and, and elaborates. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So the promise consists of children and land. And the, so Abraham had no children and he had no home after God had called him. So he gave him, he was, the promise is to give him children and land. The power of the promise in a word then is recreation. It's recreation. Because here's, if you read the text in, in Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, and you, and you, you see what's happening, everything, everything has, has fallen, man has fallen, the flood has taken place, God is working through, through the Shemites, Noah's son, and even they are turning away from the Lord until God calls Abraham. So the power of the, of the promises in the word, it's recreation. Abraham and his wife were dead. The land was not ready for them to inhabit. And the promise, the promise has power to create since it's connected to God's word. Because by God's word, the dead come to life. Isn't that true? Remember Ezekiel 37? You see these dry, these dry bones, son of man, what, how, do, how, can they live? Only Lord, you know. And what does God tell them? Preach the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. They come to life by the word of the Lord being preached to them. How does creation come into existence? When you read chapter 1 of the book of Genesis and you see the account, God spoke. And like the repeated rhythm of a, a drumbeat, eight times the creation account uses this phrase, God said. The creation came into existence because of God's word. And so here, the power of the promise is the word of creation from God. And listen to what the text is saying to us as it uses creation language in, in verse 17 of Romans 4. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. See, that's the language of creation. It's ex nihilo. It's what God creates out of nothing. God has that power. The promise that life will come from deadness and that something will come out of nothing. 
and this is what the Bible tells us, happened at creation. And so here it is the same thing with Abraham and, his, and the deadness of Sarai's womb and his age and the land itself that was occupied by others. See, you and I don't have that kind of power. Now, I know that there are people who use this text to, 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 to overcome drug use and everything else, and I, I understand, I understand what, what it is that you're doing, but you don't have, you can't recreate anything with your words. Your words don't have that, that kind of power. We don't have that kind of power. But, that's, but it is a natural question to ask, is why is God doing this recreating? If you recall the story in, in, of Abram in Genesis 12, there's no indication as to why God chooses Abram. Abram, whose name will be changed to Abraham, he's the son of a moon worshiper. That's, what, that's the worship that, of his culture. He's the son of a moon worshiper. He didn't know God. They were pagans. They didn't know God until God reveals himself to Abram and calls him in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Did you notice there's nothing about Abraham that made him any more desirable than, any, than the next person? He was a pagan. He was childless. He was 75 years old, and he was still living at home. Okay, that's, that's just a bit of American culture issues, failure to launch and all that stuff. Yeah. No, but he didn't, he didn't deserve the promise. Yet God brought this promise of recreation to him. Why? Well, the text tells us grace. It's grace. The power of the promise rests on grace. And when we lose sight of where the power of the promise rests, the power shifts. And if it shifts from grace to works. And if it shifts from God, it shifts from God to humans. And when that shift, when that shift is made, mercy is lost, pride swells, suffering increases and takes on the mask of doing good for the purpose of saving yourself, saving others, saving the planet making a name for yourself. Now, there are all kinds of examples of this that abound. It's Cain when, he, when his offering is rejected. You know, he, he goes about to justify himself, and what does he do? He, the first thing he does is he kills Abel. You know, it's the people at the Tower of Babel. What do they do? They're seeking to justify themselves. Let's build a tower to heaven. Ignoring what it is that God had commanded them to do to spread and, and to fill the earth. It's Job's friends in their analysis of Job's suffering where they conclude, Job, you're a fraud. You're suffering because you really are wicked. Because that's the way God works. Wicked people get suffering. Good people don't suffer. That's, the way, that was, that's, what, they, that's what they taught. That's what they believed. Now, it's numerous people. Perhaps some of you are sitting here today who are hard at work trying to get the power of the promise through your own works. But it will be like working to unwrap a, a Christmas present where you're always tearing off the paper but never getting to the gift. Like Abraham, we need to rest in the power of the promise. God 
is in the recreation business. He, he is renewing us and all things. The word of God speaks to us in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. God has begun that already in you, a new creation. And in Revelation 21, 5, he said this, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. God is in the recreating business, and he, he does this. This is, the, this is the power of the promise. Therefore, by faith, participate in the purpose of the promise. Look at verses 13 and 16 of chapter 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See, what's shown here is how a person is justified or, or how a person is made righteous. And, and who doesn't want to know that? We all want to know how. Don't you hear it all the time when somebody messes up, or, or, or perhaps you've said it too, when, whenever, you, you, whenever you, you've sinned or you know you've wronged a person, what do you say? How can I make it right? You want, to know how, you want to know how you can be made righteous. You want to know how am I justified, and particularly, how am I justified before God? How am I righteous before God? So the purpose of the promise is to show how a person is justified before God, and the promise to Abraham is the prototype. See, there are three aspects to the purpose of the promise. The first aspect of the purpose of the promise is to free us from the law and give us a righteousness that comes through faith. Hallelujah. Because you see, the law is unforgiving. The law cannot atone for our sins. The law doesn't bring us any kind of righteousness to God. And Paul writes that if you're trying to be right with God by keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial law, if you're trying to do that, you know that there's wrath that's coming your way since you can't keep it perfectly. Most people and religions think that, that God works on a system of merit that where my good works outweighs my bad or, or, or that the judge of all the earth judges us by comparison. Well, you're better than that fellow. You're not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, maybe, maybe you're not. You haven't killed anybody, at least not physically. You've just done it in your heart. Jesus said that alone is murder. Yeah, you can't, God doesn't operate by this comparison, nor does he operate on a system of merits. For verse 15 says, for the law brings wrath and when there isn't but where there is no law there is no transgression so once you've broken the law you face the wrath of God and what Paul is saying about Abraham is that the promise came to him before the law was given and since there was no law there was no transgression of the command you follow that 
See, Paul explains it. That's why, he says, that's why it, righteousness, depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, everyone who shares the faith of Abraham. See, the second aspect of the purpose of the promise is to give that type of assurance, is to give that assurance of this righteousness. As we just looked at, we just heard verse 16, that the righteousness depends on faith. See, God wants us to be, he wants you to be certain of the righteousness that, that, that we have in with him. And this assurance comes through the promise resting on grace. And since we're not capable to fulfill the law's demands, and we're not, God provides righteousness for us through faith in him. So the question is, are you assured of the right, of, that you are righteous before God? Are you assured that you're righteous before God? And you might ask, how can I be sure? How can I be sure if I'm righteous before God? Well, the Bible tells us, and the text is telling us, it's by faith. It's by faith we believe the promise of God. The promise is the gospel. It's the good news. It's Romans 1, 16 and 17. Listen to what Paul says about the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Do you see? Righteousness, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel and there we find our assurance. See, the work that counts, the work that you do that, that counts is faith in Christ. Remember in John chapter 6, verses 28, 29, when Jesus is there and, the, and all of these people are, are asking him what they must do, what can we do? And Jesus, Jesus said to them, what must, when they asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, the righteousness of God is brought into your life by faith. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, the word of God is telling you the purpose of the promise is guaranteed to all who share the faith of Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, there it is. God wants you to be sure. Are you assured? You should be assured because of what Christ has done for you. And that assurance is now, right now, we are right before God if our faith is in Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. I'm going to give you a prize for that, whoever said that. <laughs> you see, yeah, the third aspect of the promise is to give heirs to Abraham, both Jew and Gentile. What, what? So Abraham had no children. He had no heirs. And here God is telling him, at his 75 years old, 100 years old, you know, you're going to have a son. Really, God? You know, 100? Well, yeah, that's not. So, you know, I'm a grandfather, and I love it, but I'm so glad when the granddaughter goes back to mom. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, see, it's good to bear the yoke while you're young. See, the righteousness, though, of God, it's brought into our life. That third, or rather, the third aspect is the, the purpose of the promise is to give heirs to, to Abraham. But heirs that are both Jew and Gentile. 
What we inherit, too, is the whole world. Here's what the text tells us. You know, this means that since we all come through the power of the promise to make the dead live again, and we are all made children of Abraham through this same promise that rests on grace, we are a people now because the purpose of the promise is to continue to give heirs to Abraham. He is the father of many nations, and his offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the heaven. So therefore, if we are heirs by faith through grace, how? And so the world is ours. The scripture is telling us it's, it's going to be ours. It's not right now. We haven't received the inheritance yet, but, we, but the world is, is going to be ours. And if this, is, if this is true, if we are the heirs by faith through grace, how are we to live in this world right now? Since we haven't received the prompt, we haven't received the, the, the inheritance yet, how are we to appropriate this promise? What, what does it mean? Well, this is point number three. Walk together as the people of promise. Good verses 20 and 25 of Romans 4. No belief made him unwavered concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was not, it, was, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, the promise was to give Abraham a family. And the family is made up of people from every nation, tribe, and, and language. Abraham is the father of many nations, the text tells us. So the justification, the righteousness that comes through faith is given to everyone who believes, whether Jew or Gentile. See, you didn't get to pick the family that you are a part of. <laughs> some people and some churches, some denominations exist with that in mind, but that's not God. No, he chose people from every nation, every tribe, every language to be in his family. The promise resting on grace is, is powerful to make us a family. And it has purpose to unite us by grace. Walking as the people of God shows the world that the awesome glory of God and his power to recreate, restore, to heal, to reconcile us, and everything to himself. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Yes, everybody say wow. wow. <laughs> I'm going to give you a prize for that. Yeah. You see, the promise resting on grace, yeah, it is powerful to change us, to make us a family. And you and I, the church, has the challenge of living out this promise together growing strong in faith as we give glory to God. And his grace, as we sang earlier, is sufficient. We didn't coordinate on that song. It just, uh, I, God is there. I don't know. Yeah. 
See, it's through Jesus Christ that the grace of God comes into our lives. Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. Now, you might ask, how? How is that so? Well, so Paul said in Romans 4.16 that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. And this is what he says, not only to the adherent of the law. Wait, who is that? Yeah, earlier, earlier he, he had mentioned the adherents of the law, and he said that, that, but that, that promise is null and void if it's only to the adherents of the law. But here he says the adherent of the law, that it is guaranteed to, to that adherent. Who is that? Well, there is only one person who is the offspring of Abraham who adhered to the law completely, Jesus Christ. He, he is the adherent of the law. He kept the law perfectly for us. He fulfilled the law's demands when we failed. As the law fulfiller, Jesus, the scripture tells us in verse 25, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So here, Paul has wedded together these two truths, the resurrection of Christ and our justification. That we are Christ is raised from the dead, and because he's raised from the dead, we are justified before God. See, the wrath of God that should have been yours and mine fell on Jesus. He took the wrath so that you and I can have the Father's peace. And Paul would go on in verse 1 of chapter 5 that, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Hallelujah. Jesus brought this. He took the wrath so we can have the peace. He suffered the death so you and I can have eternal life. And he did this for Jew and Gentile. Hallelujah. Michael Byrd, in his commentary on this passage, he talks about what this, what this salvation means here. He writes, the crediting of righteousness means the non-crediting of sin, and the justification of the ungodly means the forgiveness of sin. There is also an abundance of familial and covenantal imagery employed. While Abraham is a model individual, the Abrahamic promise is for a worldwide family. While justification is about crediting righteousness, it is no less about covenantal relatedness. So if we ask what salvation means in Romans 4, we would have to say that we are invited to believe with Abraham in order to belong to Abraham's forgiven family. Huh. Yeah, you see? So if this, if this is recreation, remember... Adam and Eve, when God made them and he put them in the garden, what were they? The scripture tells us they were one. And if this is recreation, do you see? The recreation, the recreation out of, out of the nothingness of our sin, the recreation out of, out of that nothing comes something. Our sin is, is done away with and beauty emerges when God gives to us salvation Cleanses us from our sin, forgives us, blesses us. The recreation out of nothingness, out of the nothingness of racism and ethnic pride through Jesus Christ, God creates a new humanity. See, how does he do this? Well, the scripture tells us it's through Jesus Christ, God justifies 
the nobodies, the nothings, the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. His power of raising Jesus from the dead brings the vindication of Christ into the lives of all who believe. And he makes something out of our nothing. And see, that grace is shocking. It's shocking that God would do that because you know it's shocking. Who does this in real life? Yeah, see, nobody raises their hands. Because you know that, that's not the way we operate. You know, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you sin against me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm suing. You know, I'm, I'm, get, I'm going to get a lawyer. You know, you violated my rights. But this grace is shocking. So I suppose, yeah, yeah, here's a good, here's a good, if, you, if you've seen the movie Les Miserables, uh, you, you've seen this, that, that scene where, where, where uh, Jean Valjean, he's stealing from the church and, and he's about to be arrested and, and, and the priest, the, the bishop shows up and, and, he, and he gives cover for him and, and says, oh no, no, we're giving him these candlesticks. <laughs> and the look, on, the look on Hugh Jackman's face, he turns like, huh, what? You know, yeah, it's that kind of shock. But in the book, in the book, Les Miserables, Victor Hugo, has, as, he, as he talks about, he talks about this change for, for Jean Valjean. He changes, he, he writes, he says this so beautifully, and, it's, and he's talking about the transformation that grace brings. And, and in the book, so Jean Valjean has stolen, he's taken some money from little Gervais. And, and, and little Gervais, he, he, he's, he's, he's intimidated him, he terrified him, and then he remembers the grace that the bishop shows him. And, and listen to how Victor Hugo describes it. He says, the bishop had hurt his soul as too vivid a light would have hurt his eyes on emerging from the dark. He no longer knew who he really was. Like an owl who should suddenly see the sunrise, the convict had been dazzled and blinded, as it were, by virtue. Yeah, see, grace transformed him. So let grace, let grace transform you, friends. Let grace transform you. And then, like Abraham, we grow strong in faith as we give glory to God. So are you having trouble interpreting and, and making sense of, of your life? You need grace. You need grace. Can I talk to you for a moment about grace? Just what, not the church, although I like to talk about the church, but, but grace, you know, grace, what God has, has given to us and, and the beauty of it, the richness of it. See, grace, you need it. God's got it. By grace, lives are changed. Communities and relationships are made stronger through it. The promises of God are made real by it. The presence of God is ours by it. Racial reconciliation is accomplished through it. Human governments are overcome by it. Pride is diminished through it. Righteousness grows in our hearts because of it. The goodness of God comes to us through grace, forgiveness with God, peace with God, becoming a child of God, holiness like God's, the hope of the resurrection from the dead, all comes to us through the grace of God. That's grace, y'all. God's got it. We need it. Without it, we're all dead and doomed. Paul Tripp, so these are the, the, promise, the promise rests on grace. And Paul Tripp, again, he says, I'm amazed at the numbers of believers I meet who are in some state of spiritual paralysis because they no longer believe the promises of God. 
Because they don't believe the promises of God, they don't have much reason to continue doing the radical things that God calls every one of his children to do. When doubt replaces awe, you will soon give up on all the gospel disciplines of the Christian life. Your problem isn't that life is hard. Your problem is that you've lost your awe of the God who made the promises that once motivated the way you dealt with life. Do you stand with hope and courage on the awesome promises of God? Or do you walk through the quicksand of questioning their reliability? That's good. Yeah, because that's the question. Do we believe the promises of God? We believe the promises of God. We believe its power. We believe its purpose. We walk as people of the promise. So friends, come humbly, as Augustus Top Lady would say. You know who Augustus Top Lady is, right? Yeah, well, he's the writer of the song Rock of Ages. Uh, and and it's, that, it's that third line in Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The promise rests on grace. And since God raised Jesus from the dead, you and I can be assured that the promises of God will not leave us with egg on top of our heads. In the hope that we're going to get a payday with the next egg drops (laughs) but we will get everything promised everything every expectation that the promise raised because Jesus got what we deserved let's pray our Lord Jesus we can't sing of your grace enough and because you've given to us your grace Lord we are humbled we are humbled Teach us, Lord, as your people to walk in this grace that that your promise rests on, that we may be your children, children of Abraham, children of the covenant, bringing glory to your name. Do it for your glory, Lord Jesus, and your great name's sake. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.